0: People, you know, that are in power ignoring the indigenous, you know, knowledge of the land. Well, they only look at it for their, for the money-making thing. They're not looking at it as a long-term thing. They only got four years as a politician. They're going to make so much, die within 20 years or 30 years. They don't worry. So they say they're going to look after the next generation. Well, I can't see where they're going to look after next next generation, the way things are going.
1: Frank Shadforth was raised as an indigenous hunter and gatherer in the Northern Territory of Australia. Living his life in the bush, Shadforth is now the owner of Seven Emu, an 888 square mile cattle station and wildlife reserve in the Gulf of Carpentaria. He's been witnessing some drastic changes to flora and fauna over the years. A serious concern he blames on a lack of native bees. I'm Daryl Vandenberg, a radio news reporter turned podcaster, and this is Your World Uncensored. We dig into international issues with an aim of telling the stories that matter. During this episode, we're going to look at the plight of native bees around the world. We'll hear from Shadforth and his indigenous knowledge of sugar bag bees. We'll also hear from Lorianne Bird with the Center for Biological Diversity in the United States about a study on native bee declines. Thousands of different species of native bees around the world have a unique role in pollinating plants and trees. According to several studies, many are in decline, with some even facing extinction. Out on Seven Emu Station near Boralula, Shadforth has spent over 63 years of his life keeping an eye on the wildlife, flora, and sugar bag bees. Sugarbag bees are fly-sized, black, stingless bees with a queen and are the only native Australian bee known to have honey. Shadforth says the male and female sugar bag bees work with other pollinators to keep plant life flowering. He says the male bee usually lives six meters up the tree while the female pollinates and nests at the bottom. However, in the last ten years or so, he hasn't been able to find that male bee.
0: For some reason, he has to do something with that tree. Because the top of that tree, that's where he pollinates. And the flying fox, he pollinates at six in the afternoon, he starts at six in the afternoon till six in the morning, he goes back. Go back to his camp or where he roost till six o'clock that afternoon but what happened when you fly back six o'clock in the morning the birds come into them flowers and pollinate then at seven it's a male bee come around and pollinate so it's a cycle then you got butterflies and all that other little insect pollinating but now you don't see that no more he says the black
1: flying fox, otherwise known as a bat, comes up the Robinson River four times a year for about a month to pollinate and feed. With that no longer happening, Shadforth says the whole country has been thrown off balance. He says that's obvious through trees no longer flowering and plant life no longer blooming. Something he noticed in the last twenty-five years.
0: Well, it's supposed to be flowering now. You're supposed to see a lot of birds now, like parrots. You know, you'd see parrot fly across the lorikeets in 20 or 30, you know, flying across into the flowers and birds that are living on nectar. You'd hear them every morning. it just start at 6 in the morning.
1: However, he's been observing a drastic decline in bird, insect, and even wildlife populations. Even the bush tucker, the indigenous food he often gathers, has been disappearing. Most of this knowledge about bees and bush tucker has been passed down from his mother, who worked the land. Considering how indigenous people used to
0: live, Shadforth says the true function of the land has been ignored. A lot of the things he used to tell me, like if you don't hunt or gather the food, a lot of the food will go off. In other words, he used to tell me it'll go julwa. Julwa means sour and it won't produce anymore. And we used to get up in the morning after we, mum we'd water the garden and do things around the kitchen and walk for about three miles and then walk back about 100 yards from where we walked go back home you know and sleep and it, it was like a clock you'd do it right around by the time you come back to where you started at number one all the food produced and leaving the male sugar bag and all the female one you know and then we'd if it didn't produce, so we move to another spot and do the same like a clockwork. But as we doing that, all the food it will produce you know, 60, 70 mile away. 888 square mile we used to walk. Babe. You know, Dad'd be hunting, not hunting, but mustering. We'd be walking behind and get to the yard. We'd have a feed there and dad mustering or shooting crocodiles, all that sort of stuff. I mean, time didn't mean anything in them days, whereas today, you know, it's all times. You work by the watch. But them days, we used to get up and walk, you know, three miles and walk back, and it as if there was nothing wrong with it. I suppose we didn't know any better, but the bush tucker, what we used to harvest, and all the food, it's not there anymore. It's starting to go off, and I seem to think a lot of that has got something to do with global warming. You know, when they talk about indigenous people being here for 60,000 years, last year we had a great, this year we had a great big cyclone. And all the years that I've been here, I've never seen a cyclone in that, that strength, you know?
1: So, what's causing this loss of male native bees that Shadforth is talking about? and how can all of this be measured? I couldn't find anything published that backed up Shadforth's claims about a decline for sugar bag bees, let alone males. Traveling around Seven Emu, I found what looked like female bees nesting at the bottom of a gum tree and others flying around some of the only flowers I found in the area. I did notice that the trees didn't have flowers on them. In fact, I didn't see a whole lot of flowers around at all. It could have been from Cyclone Trevor that battered seven emu in March. Maybe reported declines in tree species, insects, and native bees have something to do with it. 90% of flowering plant species are dependent on insect pollination. However, over 40% of the world's insect species are faced with extinction in the coming decades, according to a study in the Journal of Biological Conservation. 25% of eucalypt species, most of which are found in Australia, are also threatened with extinction, according to the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. And hundreds of native bee species are facing extinction in North America. That's according to the Center for Biological Diversity landmark report called Pollinators in Peril.
2: Well, and, you know, as the report discusses, it covers 4,337 species of native bees. Um, and about half of them don't even have nearly enough data to even guess at a trend, unfortunately. Um, there's just, there are so many species and so few people studying them.
1: That's Lori Ann Bird, the director for the Environmental Health Program at the Center for Biological Diversity. Her team of scientists and lawyers work on pollution issues that affect endangered species and the general population.
2: Quite a bit of litigation over pesticides. We also write Endangered Species Act listing petitions to get the species that do have enough information out there on them, um, the protection they need to thwart extinction. Then the Mojave poppy bee, the Gulf Coast solitary bee. We've also petitioned for um, a firefly here, the Bethany Beach firefly. So um, as an organization, we have protected Hundreds of endangered species from extinction with Endangered Species Act listing petitions and uh, litigation and advocacy and policy work to ensure that they have um, the habitat they need and protection from their threats in order to not go extinct.
1: The report she helped work on, Pollinators in Peril, found that native bees in the USA contribute $3 billion to the economy through fruit pollination. European honeybees are known as great pollinators for monocultures and help keep food on the table for a large chunk of the population. However, she says native bees are often more specialized pollinators.
2: They're essential for pollinating wild plants. They're much more efficient pollinators of wild plants for wild plants. but you know, for anyone who cares about things like um, <laughs> wildflower meadows or trees or um, many different kinds of local food native bees are essential um, without them their plants will often go extinct in many instances they have a highly specialized relationship with a specific plant in some instances they even share a name with a specific plant um, and and their relationship is completely intertwined if one, if one blinks out the other is likely to blink out as well in the US we have um, plant species Primary, that are endangered and their primary threat is um, the loss of their native bee. So incredibly important. Also here in North America, all of the North American foods like blueberries and squash, um, those are all best pollinated by native bees, not by uh, honeybees. But for example, one of the bees we work on, the Mojave poppy bee, Um, We submitted an Endangered Species Act listing petition for um, this past year. It has two species of native flower, uh, beautiful poppies that it pollinates. And without those bees, those poppies could disappear, and the beautiful spring blooms that people look forward to would disappear along with them. Um, That could also mean reduced tourism uh, and just a less beautiful, rich, and interesting
1: world. Habitat loss due to industrial agriculture and development and climate change are among some of the reasons the report listed as harms to native right now, bees. Right of
2: course, what scientists have called an insect apocalypse, and many of the same factors affecting native bees, like pesticide use, habitat destruction, climate change, um, all those are leading causes of insect declines overall. The pesticides that specifically are having the most significant effect on bee populations in the United States, Uh, neonicotinoids, also are extremely toxic to um, other kinds of pollinators. For example, eating just one um, seed treated with a neonicotinoid is enough to kill a songbird. Of course, we've seen serious songbird decline. Um, Bats are also... um, harmed by neonicotinoids, and neonicotinoids have affected their populations, and um, maybe a cause of their population declines as well. But if a native solitary bee suffers acute poisoning from a pesticide, then she is not able to provision her brood, and they will all perish, um, because she won't be able to provision them. So you have much lower numbers, and you have much greater sensitivity. Also, um, in many instances, it appears that pesticides have a more significant
1: impact on them. Shadforth is adamant that the sugar bag bees have an even greater threat. He says feral European honeybees are the culprit and are killing the native
0: bees. What they do is find the male bee because he leaps way up. And if there's a lot of nectars like honey, flower, he have a long eye eye where he comes in like a honey and he builds it up like a wax the longer the eye the more honey in there so what happens I seem to think it goes into there and takes all the honey and kill all the male bee as well it's just like mob a bee going in to attack something and you hear the noise it's just like an engine. and what happened he goes around and uh, pollinating the tree but he takes too much of that tree Whereas with the old Aborigine bee, or the native bee, you see what he's doing? he share with all the bird and insect and the flying fox. You go to town, you hear people whinging about the bats. They're in town. Well, they don't know why they're in town. Because the reason they're in town is because they can't get anything outside.
1: Although Bird's never heard of European bees attacking native bees, she admits they do pose a threat.
0: Bees in wild habitat,
2: those honeybees can spread disease, they can eat the available food, and in most instances, availability of forage is the key limiting factor for native bee populations, and so if you introduce a competing bee that is going to be more aggressive in eating the forage uh, that has a longer season of being out and feeding, um, then you're definitely going to see impacts to native bees. Honeybee can take food off of dozens of different species of flowers, and the native bee can only have one, and they're not going to have as good of a chance of getting the food that they need. Um, And then the plant is also going to suffer from the reduced pollination because they're not just going from one type of plant to that same type of plant. They're going to all different kinds of plants.
1: Bird plans to keep up the fight to protect all endangered species in the U.S., She's been pushing for more funding to find out more about things like native bees.
2: We've um, introduced a bill uh, in the United States called the Saving American Pollinators Act that would um, put some money towards native pollinator research. But it's a huge need across the world, um, you know, and I think research institutions would do well to allocate more money to that, and it would be great if researchers could find ways to support that research as well, but in the meantime, one of the things that we know that we absolutely can do is get a grip on out-of-control pesticide use. We know pesticide use, especially use of neonicotinoid pesticides. in The United States is a leading driver of pollinator declines. There are other pesticides as well. and so we can we can take a hard look at where pesticides are being used in a way that's driving these declines and make some tough choices um, to phase them out, just like the European Union has done and uh, Canada has done for certain neonicotinoid insecticides. So that's the big thing we can do. We can also plant pollinator habitat, um, especially native plants, increasingly... Um, Urban areas are becoming important refuges for native pollinators, as uh, rural areas have such a heavy toxic pesticide load that um, they're often inhospitable, and so folks planting gardens that actually provide year-round forage is really important, um, especially if they can manage to do so with native plants, of course, without using pesticides in their garden. Choosing organic food is another way to support gardening or uh, agricultural practices that are not harming bees.
1: Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us for a look at the situation in Hong Kong and the people's push for freedom from authoritarianism. Also listen in to other episodes about Extinction Rebellion and Indigenous sovereignty. See you next time.